Um, Exodus 18 is uh, next chapter we get to Mount Sinai. And we have that and then going up and getting the Ten Commandments. Um, what we've gone through, and some of you haven't been with us, but as you've gone through Exodus, they're, of course, delivered out of Egypt. They're delivered from the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Then they go into the wilderness, and immediately they start getting attacked from without. In other words, there's threats to the nation that come where they have to trust God. So the first threat is we're running out of water, and God provides water. Uh, the people grumble, but God provides water for them. Then they're running out of food, and God provides food. And it's important to know that everything that happens, God intends to happen. He intends for them to run out of water. Because he takes them to a place where there's no water. And he intends for them to run out of food. And then they run out of water again. And then last week, we see them be attacked by the Amalekites. And now they have to begin to trust God to help them fight battles, or actually fight battles. So um, last week, Moses goes up onto the hill. We know that story when his hands are raised, or his hand is raised, it actually says the battle goes in their favor. And if not, the battle goes the other direction. But what's he holding in his hand? The staff. He's holding up the staff, which represents the authority and the power and the provision of God. And when that staff is up, they are winning, and when that staff is down, they are losing. And the, the principle then is the battle belongs to the Lord. And that is a, a theme throughout the rest of the Old Testament. We just think about all the different battles. Um, the interesting thing there is that God expects them to be fighting with them. And we have that balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility that you can't just say, Okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No, God expects us to be fighting in battle. Uh, but, but we better make sure that God is the one who's fighting the battle for us or, or we're going to fall on one side. We're either going to not fight the battle or we're going to fight it in our own strength. So we talked about that last week. All of those are threats from outside of, of Israel. This week we have a threat which comes from inside. And it's a threat which affects local churches today. It affects people today. And it's the threat of taking on too many responsibilities and putting it on one person. This is where Moses um, is judging the people and his father-in-law comes to him and tells him, you should stop doing what you're doing. So it's actually, it doesn't seem like as big of a deal, but in some ways the threat that takes place here is maybe uh, just as important for us in this day and age with all the busyness that we have that people don't don't do what's good but do it in a way which causes them and the other people around them to suffer so if you wanted to title the lesson it could be burnout but we're not going to talk about that the whole time because there's other parts of this it is a little bit longer of a chapter let's go ahead and read Exodus 18 <coughs> starting with verse 1 it says, uh, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel's people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, 
for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the Lord, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his son and his wife, his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where, when he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian for Israel's sake in all the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders to Israel of Israel to eat, with, eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know, um, make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. And all the people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times, any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went to his own country. Okay. Um, Let's, let's start with, <clears throat> there's actually two parts to this. The first one is Moses' father-in-law coming to him and then the advice of his father-in-law. Um, so just a little bit of history here. Moses is a priest of Midian. I mean, Jethro is a priest of Midian. Jethro, of course, is where Moses, Midian is where Moses fled to, got to Midian and 
protected a shepherdess who ended up being his wife, or one of the daughters, Zipporah, is his wife. <coughs> Do we know anything about Midian? It's located in modern-day Saudi Arabia. Yeah, if you take Egypt, if you look at your map, the Red Sea goes two directions, and Midian's on the other side. So where, the, where they would have crossed over from Egypt, you've got these two forks of the Red Sea, Midian's on the uh, east, uh, southeast side of the Red Sea. <clears throat> it is uh, probably about 100 miles from Mount Sinai, is 100 to 200 miles from where they are, a little bit further to Egypt. It would have been quite a, quite a distance to flee to Midian. Um, who is Midian? Ah, he's one of Abraham's sons. Abraham, if you remember, when he uh, he had Isaac, uh, of course, Ishmael first, and then Isaac, and then Sarah dies, and he marries Keturah, and he has seven more sons. We often think of Moses as being childless, but Moses has more boys than anybody else in this room. He had nine sons. We don't know how many daughters he may have had because they may not have been mentioned, but he had at least nine children, and Midian was one of his sons. So Midian is a direct descendant of Abraham. And Mo, Abraham sent them away um, off to the east, <laughs> go away from my others, from Isaac, and Midian ends up. So I say that because Midian probably has some remembrance of who Yahweh is, of who, um, who uh, God of Abraham is. Um, he is a priest of Midian, which is interesting. And not only a priest, it always says when it refers to him, the priest of Midian. And he is coming back with Moses' <laughs> wife and sons. Now, the interesting thing about that is that at this point, we don't know that Moses' wife and sons aren't with him. Because the last that we saw, Moses came to, in fact, a zipper is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Here and back in Exodus 3 and 4. In Exodus 3, he meets her and protects her and ends up marrying her. And then in chapter four, God appears in the burning bush and says, go to Egypt. And so he goes and he takes his wife and his sons and they head for Egypt. Anybody remember what happens on the way? God tries to kill Moses and Zipporah Yes, it was a really bizarre story, and I don't want to go into it, but, but we already talked about it. That's a whole lesson, but he's on his way, and, and God seeks to kill Moses because Moses has not circumcised his own sons, or at least one of his sons. And so Zipporah circumcises, places the foreskin at his feet, and says, you become a, a bloody bridegroom to me. And then, apparently, she goes back home. It says here, Moses sent her, but I'll just between you and me, I wonder if that didn't cause a rift in the family where she said, I don't want, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to go there. I, I'm, I'm afraid maybe, or maybe I don't, I don't trust you anymore, or whatever it is. Um, what's interesting too is that it's not Moses who's sending for her, it's her father-in-law who's bringing her back. Um, they talk about the names of the people, and it's an interesting, it would be an interesting study. A lot of speculation would have to be in there, but the name of the first one is, I'm a sojourner. 
in a foreign land. Well, his son is estranged from him. He's got two sons, and they've been out at least a year, maybe two years, where they haven't seen dad. Um, they're getting news about him because news did travel in the ancient world. They would have known what had happened to Egypt. And, and so finally, um, Jethro takes matters into his own hands and says, it's time to take you back to your dad. Time to reunite the family. Um, and then we see a complete difference in culture, right? Um, if my wife and children were coming to me and my father-in-law was bringing them to me, I guarantee you I had not run up and kissed my father-in-law. Right? That's not who I would greet first. Um, and yet that's what he does because in that culture the father-in-law was uh, to be honored. In fact, Jethro's original name is Reuel, R-E-U-E-L. Um, that's when we first meet him. And then after that, he's called Jethro. Jethro means eminent one. So he was a man of some renown, some stature. And he comes, they greet, they have their discussion. Jethro talks about all that he's heard. Moses fills in all of the details. And then we have this great statement of faith on the part of Jethro. Um, in verse 10. Um, actually, verse 9, he rejoices at all that God had done. And he says, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and now the hand of Pharaoh and has del delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And then he offers burnt sacrifices. And it's an interesting scene. He's offering burnt sacrifices in the presence of Moses and Aaron. Moses, the leader of the people. Aaron, who's going to be the priest of the people. And there is Moses, this uh, potentially pagan, but who now is a believer in God after seeing what God has done. And he's offering sacrifices to the Lord. Jethro. Uh, Jethro, yes. Jethro is offering sacrifices to the Lord. Um, and then eats bread and, and whatnot. So <clears throat> that's kind of the backstory on all of that. Any questions on Jethro, Midian, Tipra? By the way, Moses remarries later, apparently, because he marries a, a Cushite woman um, later on. So we don't know if Zipporah died or if he took on a second wife or, or what. But, um, anyways, so that is that part of it. Are we good? Okay, then let's go on to the second part. Uh, they've had their meeting. Everybody's uh, happy, and the next morning Moses gets up. And all around Moses are people. Moses is the sole judge for two million people. And there's a group standing around him. Doesn't sound like they lined up. They just gathered around his tent. And now it's Moses' job to judge the people. And so he starts judging. And he starts in the morning, and he ends at night, and there's still people standing there. So there are people who waited all day. You know, I would say our court system's better, but I've been to court, and it kind of feels the same way, right? You go there, and you spend the whole day there. Whatever it is, you just give up one whole day. But these people have been waiting all day, and some of them now have to go home. And then Moses has to start all over again with that. Um, and so Jethro observes that. <clears throat> and he asks the question first, why in the world are you doing this? And Moses has his answer. 
uh, the people in verse, um, can't see that little number there, 15. Moses said, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Okay? So, first of all, they have questions about God, maybe of what God is saying in this circumstance. Um, and when they have a dispute, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes uh, of God and his laws. So Moses is actually doing two functions. He's teaching the people when there's a question about God, a question about the law, he teaches them, and when they have a dispute, he teaches, he settles the dispute. Um, by the way, some people will say, and John MacArthur is one of them, that this must be out of sequence, that this must have happened after Sinai, because otherwise, what statutes and law is Moses teaching? Um, other people would say, you know, they may have had some sort of code that they were working with, and Moses is teaching them what he knows. But regardless, it doesn't make any difference to me. Uh, it's possible it's out of sequence, that's fine. They're at Mount Sinai. And this may have just fit in the narrative better at this point. Um, <clears throat> but what I find interesting is what Moses' father-in-law says. Look at verse 17. I do, I do want to focus on this now. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. Okay, let's think about what Moses is doing. He's teaching the people the law. Is that a good thing? Yes. He's settling disputes among people. Is that a good thing? Yes. Okay. So what in the world does Jethro mean? And I think it's obvious from the text, but what does it mean what you are doing is not good? He's saying Moses that doing all this by yourself is going to kill you. And who else? The people. What you are doing is not good. And then he gives his reason. It's not the thing that you're doing. We, we may say the way that you're doing it is not good, or how you're doing it is not good. Judging the people, teaching the people, those are good things. What's not good is that in the process of doing it, you and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. Oh, and look at the next thing. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not to do it alone. Okay? Um, so what we're doing... Moses is not doing anything he shouldn't be doing. He's doing things that should be done. But he's doing them in a way that's going to cause him to wear out and to cause the people to wear out. There's going to be two effects that will take place. And then Jethro makes that statement, this is too heavy for you. You can't do it yourself. So Jethro gives him the suggestion, divvy the people up. Um, I know Adrian would probably be able to weigh in on this. I know our founding fathers looked to the Bible to help set up the system of government that we have. And doesn't this seem like our appellate court system? You go to one judge, and then he takes it to a higher judge, and higher, and eventually you get to Moses, which is the Supreme Court. If only our Supreme Court were as wise as Moses, that would be a great thing. But it's still the system that is set up. Okay. And then Moses does that. And, and as a result, now Moses is free to do the things that he should be doing. Okay? Um, does this have any application to us today? Wearing out. Wearing out? The way the church is run? Okay. Explain, darling. 
in, in the church, we see it. Uh, this, this, I think, is a really big issue for us. This is a threat in churches and in ministries everywhere. Uh, anybody ever been in a church where you had a thriving ministry and all of a sudden somebody burned out and the ministry just disappeared? Uh, I have. I've seen ministries just collapse because the person who took it on was shouldering all of the responsibilities to do it. Anybody been in a church where a pastor burned out? I said, I can't do this anymore. It happens all the time. Um, this is an issue that we have to face, and it may be that you're in a position where you're at, at risk of burning out, that you've taken on too much. Now, having said that, let me just say something. <laughs> it's interesting that if we talk now about taking on too much responsibility, that you typically have two types of people, those who take on no responsibility and those who take on too much. The people who take on no responsibility hear this and say, well, thank goodness I'm not burning out. <laughs> okay, that, that's great. But, you know, maybe we ought to move you over toward the middle there somewhere. And the people who are, are burning out um, are the ones who kind of hear, need to hear the message. But you have to be careful that you don't misinterpret it. We sh the, the actual application for this is that the church is designed to run in a certain way. And if we don't do it that way, we are going to lead to the situation. And the interesting thing is it doesn't just affect the pastor. It affects the entire congregation. Um, it was interesting to me what Moses says, you are not able to do it alone. See, we would have a spiritual response to that. We would say that I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. Right? Yes, but it may not be that that's what God is asking me to do. Moses, God could have given Moses the strength to do that. But Moses had taken on something that he should not have taken on. And, and as a result, that thing was too heavy for him. Okay. Some of you guys must just be inside of my head when I prepare the lesson because that's exactly where we want to go to. I want to just think about the New Testament church. <clears throat> and we'll get to Christ in a minute. Um, what happened in the, in the early church? Let's think about it. We had Pentecost, right? 5,000 people come to know the Lord. The apostles are preaching. And then all of a sudden now, as the church grows, they begin to care for widows and orphans. And, and, and before long, you've got this big food distribution program going. And if we go over to Acts chapter 6, I know we know the passage, but I think it's the analogy to what happened with Moses. Moses, the leader of the people, is taking all the responsibility. The apostles, who are charged with running the church, uh, preaching, teaching, and setting up a church structure by Christ, um, all of a sudden find themselves in a position where they are taking on too much responsibility and they have to back off of it. So in Acts chapter 6, it says, Now in these days, chapter verse 1, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily uh, distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, 
It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles reached the exact same point. We, we, if we start doing the, all of this, we will not be doing what we are supposed to be doing or gifted to be doing. That's preaching and praying, teaching the good news and praying. And so they appointed seven deacons, and the deacons then began that, that program. Um, Jesus himself Whenever he's out, he's got his big ministry going and everything's going along. Maybe he's just fed the 5,000 or he's been healing. Matt mentioned it. What does Jesus do often? He withdraws to pray. That the, the ministry that he's doing is not as important in a sense as his relationship with God and, and with the strength that he gets from God. Um, and yet... We sometimes get consumed by the busyness, right? All of a sudden, we've got all of these things that we have to do. And we begin to feel like we're indispensable if you're one of the ones who takes on too much responsibility. And all of a sudden, we head toward that burnout. You're going to wear yourself, wear yourself out. Um, so what is the right way to approach it? Well, what's the picture in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 we could go to Ephesians chapter 4 um, we have this beautiful picture in the New Testament of the body the body analogy of all the different gifts that are being given, spiritual gifts that are given, we all know this spiritual gifts that are given that are to be used in service and that the body when everybody is working together functions perfectly so in 1st Corinthians uh, 12 and verse 12 for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with Christ for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body um, Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one many, but of many. The foot should say to the hand, say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong um, to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body, and so on. We know that passage. Um, the, if you jump over to um, verse 24, um, in the middle of verse, it says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Um, and then he goes on to list all of the um, different um, different gifts. And let's go ahead and read that. And while we do it, we need to turn that heater down. What felt really good at the beginning is now really hot. <laughs> there we go. Dave's, Dave's hot. There's one of our deacons, our overworked deacons. We're going to have to talk about that in just a minute. Um, 
Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, uh, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And Ephesians 4 is another place where you can go and it talks about the body functioning together. So we don't have time today, of course, to talk about the spiritual gifts, but the point is, if the church is functioning correctly, the division of responsibilities is such that the pastor doesn't have to take on everything. Or a few people don't take on all the responsibility. But rather, everybody is pitching in. In fact, you could argue that the reason the pastor burns out is because no one is stepping up to do the things that need to be done. Although, to be fair, oftentimes we keep assuming more and more responsibilities until we're burning out. And we're just about unable to keep doing it. Um, so the question for us, for you individually, is, and I know those of you who just came through the membership class, what's one of the big questions? How are you going to plug into the church? What is your, I assume that's one of the questions I talk about. How, how are you going to plug in? How are you going to be part of the, part of the church? Um, because if everybody is functioning properly, then we don't have the problem of the burnout. Um, so the question is, do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know what it is that you should be doing? And are you doing it? And if not, you should start doing it. So some of us need to move where we're actually functioning. And those who are in the position of burnout, and my guess is in this room, there's probably some who are at that place where I don't know if I can do this anymore. Uh, we need to do what Moses did and find people to take over some of that responsibility from us. Um, now, that would lead to all sorts of different discussions. Let me just say something to the young people. Uh, there's a few of you. Uh, when I was in high school, I got fantastic advice from my youth pastor. We studied spiritual gifts. And the question everybody has is, well, what is my spiritual gift? And his, there was his advice. When you're young, take every opportunity to serve in the If they ask you to serve in the nursery, serve in the nursery. If there's a mission trip, go on the mission trip. If somebody says, would you like to lead a Bible study, lead a Bible study. They say, would you like to help set up chairs at church, help set up chairs. And what you will find is where your gifts are. And then as you get older, you can then move into the area of your gifts and your strengths. Um, if, if you serve in the nursery, and you, my nursery people are gonna probably hate you for this, but if you serve in the nursery and you absolutely hate it, there's people in the church who love serving in the nursery. Don't do that anymore. If somebody asks you to teach a Bible study, and you teach it, and you feel like you do a really poor job, and it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, um, you, you actually feel drained after it every single time, um, probably that's not your function. Um, what we're gonna find is that if everybody finds their slot, then the body works perfectly together, and that's the body analogy. Uh, don't try to be a hand if you're a foot, don't try to be a foot if you're a hand, don't try to be the, 
the eye if you're something other than the, than the eye, but make sure that we're out doing something. I know when we were hiring Pastor Scott, one of the advices that we got was that Pastor Scott would take on more and more and more responsibility, that he will load himself up. And as elders, a part of our job is to prevent him from doing it, prevent him from burning out. And I'll tell you, it's a hard job. It's tough to keep him from doing that. But there's things that, that we can be doing to come across alongside him. And Darla, what you said is exactly right. We have, you have a team of elders, but where does everybody want to go to? Always straight to the pastor, okay? And then, then we start laying that on him. Um, let me just say, in terms of deacons, we're in the process of nominating deacons right now. Um, we have some very overworked deacons. And as elders, we're aware of it, but we need people to come along and help serve. Uh, there's a lot of places, if you're not involved anywhere, talk to Dave Lerman. <laughs> He can find a spot for you to go talk to the guys running the soundboard. Talk to some of the people who are here. Um, we don't see it, but are here every Sunday morning at 7. I'll stay here until 1 or 2. Because they're set up and tear down and all those other things. And what happens is those people burn out as well. And, and the church needs to be coming together and functioning. If you go back... Moses, if, if he had gone and tried to divvy up the responsibility and no one would have taken it, he would have been left doing something that he should so, so I think the same threat exists for our church and for every church in America and for the body of Christ in general. If we don't do that, we find ourselves in the same place that uh, Israel was at, where they were in danger of wearing out their leaders and wearing out their people because because they weren't functioning properly. So, comments, just one side, it's the other. If you're not serving, if you're not using the gifts that God has given to you, then you're not growing spiritually because that's what God is going to do. That's what God is going to work most effectively through you. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned to the younger people to take opportunities. I'd even encourage the older people to every once in a while branch out because you, you might think that you know what you're really good at. Um, I've discovered I'm really good at tearing down chairs. So, you know, I, I, and I don't mind doing it after a wedding or after a, a function. It's kind of fun to work with everybody and, you know, tear down the chairs and, and do that and, and set up. And yet, at the same time, you know, there's things that I'm more gifted at perhaps than that. So there's a lot of places to serve. Um, any other comments? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's more cultural in that he was highly esteemed by Moses and was a man of some renown and some wisdom. And, um, really, he hadn't had an opportunity to know God. 
all he would have known is the little um, the stories that would have come down from Abraham. Um, they, I, I tried to look up what Midian, if they worshipped other gods, and there's almost no information on the, the worship of Midian. So they may not have had much, and maybe they were sort of uh, worshippers of, of the god of Abraham, but without much knowledge. But I think it had more to do with the fact that he was Moses' father-in-law, and father-in-law then held a place of, of high honor. And that, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing about about spiritual gifts. You know, you go through it. Everybody sees the, the the gifts that are more notable, but the gifts of administration, um, where you're able to take and organize and pull things together, is absolutely critical. The gift of helps, where you come along and make some things work. The gift of serving. The gift of giving. All of those gifts, if we're not exercising those. Our body is not going to is not going to be what it should be, and you're, like Dave said, not going to be the person that you should be unless you're exercising the gifts. So, um, any other comments on Exodus 18? too much work, tend to take on too much work in areas that aren't part of their gifting as well. A job needs to be done, I do that job. Then a second job and a third job and before long it's 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 a now we have an overworked person who's about ready to burn out. And it's not good. So but we do want nursery workers and children's <laughs> workers. Um, there's a lot of things that have to take place on a Sunday morning. Just before you started, he said, he said that Jane is doing well, but he has to go into back surgery. Okay. All right. Anything else? All right. Next week, we hit Mount Sinai. Uh, we don't quite get the law yet. That's not until Exodus 20, but we'll, we'll get the, there before the, the, we end for Christmas. So.